turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. Paul was writing to a young pastor, a new church, and um, we're going to take a look at the traits, the attitudes, the roles, and responsibilities of the local church. And we need to remember the church is not a building. The church is the, the, the church. The building is here is where we meet, but the church is the people. You are the church. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Titus chapter 1. And let's begin with reading verses 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So, Paul begins this letter and this is one of the greetings that he often uses but he's speaking to a young pastor of a new church and he was encouraging them to set in order some things that were lacking but Paul first here calls himself in the opening statement here a bondservant of God and that word in the Greek is doulos he's a doulos one who is uh, subservient and he is submissive to God in his calling. A doulos is one who gives himself up for the will of another, who's ready to be used in the advancing of God's purposes among men. You see, a doulos is one who is devoted to his master's service, and he puts the Lord's interest before his he puts the lord's interest before his but a lot of people have a misconception of of ministry because we do put the lord first but it's not to the abandonment of property or family the idea is god is uh, preeminence he is first and there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to the calling of, of, of being a pastor or a minister. And a lot of people have this idea that it's a really easy job. It's, it's, it's no sweat. It's, it's a cush job. All I do is, you know, come and teach every, you know, week. And, you know, and the rest of the week I do nothing. Um, so a lot of people have a misconception or it's about money or title or, you know, those things have their place, but it's not an easy role to be, put the Lord's interest first. Now, again, I mentioned there's many misconceptions and there needs to be a balance in pastoral ministry life. You know, Kathy told a story, Pastor Joe's wife, Kathy, told a story to um, our wives when we graduated in 2004 from pastoral school. And, you know, she got the wives together and she shared how she went one time shopping to an antique store. And as she was in the antique store, she saw a beautiful, it was a uh, secretary's desk. And, you know, you know, she, I think she wanted it for herself or Pastor Joe. And she had mentioned that her husband's a pastor. And the lady who was selling the, pro, the, the, the desk said that, her husband, it used to be her husband's, and he used to be a pastor. And she's like, wow, he, he used to be a pastor? And then the lady said, yeah, he used to be a pastor, but he would spend long hours and, and a lot of time at the church. And I kept saying to him, you're spending too much time at the church. You're spending too much time at the church. And finally, he started listening. And he started to not going to church more often. He's a pastor. And then eventually, he stopped going and became basically a couch potato we don't even go to church anymore and so it was a encouragement to her not an encouragement but it was a an idea of hey i i gotta do everything i can to help my husband in his calling and so it, it's very important
for those in ministry that their wife is on the same page. And there's a balance in ministry. And so pray for your pastors. You know, I, I remember when I first started serving in ministry and, you know, like the world, I used to be the first one at the party and the last one to leave. And, and that's the way I am with the church. I'm the first, one of the first ones here in the morning and one of the last ones to leave. And so I was all in in the world. So now I'm all in for God. And so at, when I first started serving in ministry, you know, I was all in. I was overseeing um, prayer nights on Tuesday nights. I was teaching on Friday nights. I was doing the accounting ministry. I was in the sound ministry. And, you know, my wife, it was a lot for my wife. And so I took a sabbatical. And what happened is I learned from that time. I learned that there is a balance in ministry. But then I, I got involved. I got ordained in 2009. And then, you know, my wife had no problem with it of me serving long hours and and I would come home t- very tired and she would say he's he's about my father's business he's about my father's business and she would say I get tired Tony and you know she didn't she wasn't complaining but I started I started listening to that I you know here I'm giving the Lord the best and then I'm coming home and 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 I'm I'm knocking out now I didn't have enough energy uh, to spend with my wife. And the Lord really ministered to, to me through that. There's a balance. And I started praying, Lord, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to have the stamina, to do all that I have to do at the church, but also to take care of my family and take care of spending time with my wife. And you know what was amazing? God gave me the strength. And, you know, now we have uh, time together and there, there's a balance. So Pray for your pastors, but if you're called to ministry and, and or your husband is called to ministry, you know, you want to really encourage them uh, all the way that you can. But here in the second part of verse 1, he says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So in other words, what we preach as pastors and teachers and as Christians should always correspond with our life. You know, we're, we're taught the Word of God. We're, and what we're taught should match from the pulpit to our lives. What we're, how we're living should match what we're taught. If, there, if we're not, there's something wrong and we need to pray, Lord, you know, do a work of your Spirit in my heart. So what we profess should match what, what is taught in the pulpits and what is taught through our Bibles. But here verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So here it says God promises He doesn't lie. You see, God is consistent. And, And here's the thing, how do we prove God doesn't lie? How do we prove God doesn't lie? And you know what? It's really easy. It's called the word prophecy. You see, the Bible has prophecies. You know, Jesus himself fulfilled over 300 prophecies concerning his first coming alone. No other religious book or medium or so-called future proclaimer can ever match that. God's word, what God says comes to pass we have evidence so god doesn't lie but here paul addresses as one who is called to ministry at that god was his savior and he here he says jesus is god he's claiming that jesus is god and a lot of christians don't know that jesus is god he is god incarnate in the flesh He always existed. He always began. And in John chapter 1 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, it says that he put on flesh. So after this greeting to Pastor Titus, we get into the nature of the letter here in verse 5. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint leaders in every city. So at this time, there there were issues in the church. There were things that were lacking. And 
Paul was encouraging the pastor to set in order the things that were lacking. So if there were things lacking there in Titus's day, surely there are things lacking today. And, and there is things lacking in the church today here at Calvary Chapel Cornerstone. And we pray that the scriptures would show you and your responsibilities and your roles as a church member. But secondly, here it says, Paul said to appoint leaders in every city as I commanded you. Now, Paul is saying that because there is a lack of leadership. There's a lack of passion or drive for those called to ministry. I really believe God is calling a lot of people to ministry, men, and we're not responding. How do I know this? Because the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, they had the same issue. Paul, uh, or the writer of Hebrews writes, by now you should be teachers, but you're lacking in a certain area. You're lacking passion. So the next part of scripture is the role of the pastor or elder and the qualifications for that role. So let's read verses 6 through 9 here in the local church. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop or a pastor or overseer must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful, faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be, be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. So first he says those who are called must be blameless. And that word means irre, irreproachable or unaccused. You know, you can't accuse them of bad behavior. Number two, they must be committed to uh, a committed husband to one wife. Um, that's what the, the scriptures tell us. Number three, they must be one who has raised his children to be respectful, respectful uh, children. And number four, must be a good steward or manager of his responsibilities. So the Bible tells us, you know, take if he takes care of the home, he takes care of the church. So... Uh, pray for that. Uh, number five, and we see the knots. There's a few knots in here. Those who are called to ministry should not be self-willed, quick-tempered, not given to wine, not a drinker. You know, Pastor Joe addressed this subject. If you drink, um, don't be in ministry. If you drink, don't be in ministry. And I hold the same view because it clouds your judgment. But he says, not greedy for money, not violent. So these are bad characteristics that we don't want in our pulpits or leaders. But it says, one who holds, the, the, holds fast the faithful word. In other words, you stick to the scriptures as the source of your stability to weather storms. Because in ministry, you will have storms. Ministry is difficult, dealing with ministry. We deal with different things all the time. So, it takes one who will hold fast to the faithful word. But also, the pastor or minister or leader, overseer, must uh, be teachable. Must be teachable. It says, by use of sound doctrine. Uh, as Basically, we're called to be students for life. You know, when I read the Bible the first time, I didn't really understand it. And I read it again, okay, different season in my life. I got a little older and read it again and over and over. You become more mature, but you're learning something new all the time. Learned something new this morning. So we need to be a continual learner. But he also by, says here, by use of doctrine in the word, both to the minister should be able to exhort, it says here. And that word is, is like to prod or to nudge others in the right direction. But also he must be able to use the word to rightly convict those who contradict. 
And the word contradict means to rep- reprimand or to voice approval. Here, the ministry, the minister should not be afraid to rebuke and correct when necessary. And a lot of times people don't want to say negative things or use, or, or use uh, biblical wisdom for correction. And it's very important. But here on the contrast, verses 10 through 16, we see those who are not qualified. It says in verse 10, For there are many insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of their own, a prophet of their own, has said, uh, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now, in the past, are, are there people who've had these characteristics and have changed? Absolutely. But here Paul addresses the disqualifying conduct. And it's marked first with being insubordinate. Being insubordinate. You know, and insubordination is simply, I can't follow ex- directions. Not exhibiting Christ-like behavior. Because we know Jesus was submissive in all things. And he pleased the Father. So a minister should be submissive. Secondly, he shouldn't be an idle talker. One who rambles on about empty, empty things and senseless, irrational things. Number two, not a deceiver. Sticking to the word. Teaching, see, because some teachers have strayed from the Bible and are just teaching whatever they want. They're teaching and they're rambling on about empty things, which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Sounds like a lot of TV ministers and ministers on the internet. We need to be careful who we're listening to and have discernment. Make sure they're teaching the word of God. That's why we encourage chapter by chapter, verse by verse, where you could check it out yourself. Number, verse number 12 says, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, uh, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts. And that word evil beast is speaking of wild living, wild living, lazy gluttons that they, you know, basically. And here's the thing in ministry. A lot of times people just get into ministry because they want and they think it's an easy job. And in some ministries, they have everything, everybody do things for them and and uh, they want to sit around and fill their stomachs. But it isn't an easy job. It's, a, it's, it's work. And it's, it's God should be glorifying. But see the traits. They're, they're liars. They're living wild. And they're lazy gluttons. This is uh, unbecoming. Uh, a servant of God. But Paul said this testimony is true. You know, at this time, this testimony was true, but he said, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. In other words, they need to turn from their behavior or their mindset. But here in Scripture, we see the worst place to be. The worst place to be. And the worst place to be is to have a mind and a conscience that is defiled. A mind and a conscience that is defiled. And that word defiled is polluted your your mind and your conscience is is so polluted and contaminated by worldliness that you profess to know god but you deny them deny them and how you live that is the worst place for a christian to be that you profess to know god but you deny them by how you're living and here's here's how we should we should be living by this not according to the word, the world standard. 
I think I'm going to get, you know, you can live according to the world standard and culture and how things are going, and that's fine. You can, but you're going to have to stand before God on the day of judgment. What he instructs us to live according to his word. So the worst place to be is to profess to know God, but to deny him and how we live. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15, you know, talks about this, this he's, the Bible here uses this word abomin- abominable. It's not talking about a snowman, but abominable here, it's speaking of, of, of something that is uh, the behavior as somebody who justifies wicked behavior and condemns just living. They're living according to the word and their lifestyle, and they're condemning that lifestyle, but you're justifying worldliness and ungodliness. So, you know, we see that in many liberal uh, pulpits. You know, they elevate, you know, um, carnal living. And those living according to God's word, they denounce them as evil. The conclusion is summed up here with disobedient and disqualified for every good work. Now, is there hope? Absolutely, there's hope. You know, if these are some of my, my traits, or if I see any error in me, because whenever God deals with leaders or anything having to do with conduct, I don't just view it for, that's just for the pastor. That's for me too. That's for me too. So I got to check my heart. Is this, if this is you, if there's anything in here that's unbecoming that, that it's you, you need to change. You need to change. But that comes with asking the Lord for, to forgive you for that, such conduct and asking him to fulfill you with your whole, the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us that he will cause you like a butterfly to metamorphose and become something new. He'll transfigure you and transform you. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul. He was wicked. He was taking Christians, taking them out of their house, separating them from their families, throwing them in prison, and they were putting them to death. And he was okay with that. But God changed him. God changed him. And now he's writing this about Christians. So God did a work in him. And you know what? God can do a work in you. You just need to listen and yield yourself to him. You see, also, there are men in the church who do not meet these qualifications here on this list. But you know what? There are some men, many men who don't qualify for this role, but have been a blessing to the church. They serve and they love God and they give of their time and their attention. They're a blessing in ministry. But if you do qualify and God has called you to ministry, men, stop giving reasons why you can't make yourself available to God in His service. And ladies, if your husband is called to serve in that role of overseer or pastor, you want to do everything you can to help them in their calling. Chapter 2. Here Paul addressed the pastor in verse 1. He said, but I speak, but as for you, speak these things which are proper for sound doctrine. In other words, pastors stick to biblical teaching. Stick to biblical teaching. I know we, we like pastors on the internet, but make sure they're teaching the word of God. Be careful of topical sermons. A sermon where they're teaching one verse and they're just expounding. Be careful. Line upon line, chapter upon chapter is what we encourage to do. Why? Because you could see the whole effect of the chapter. And here we're covering the whole book so that you know what is going on. But he says, stick to biblical teaching. But now he goes to the conduct of the men. Men, listen up. Verse 2, it says that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, and in patience. 
So here he's addressing the older guys to be reverent, meaning honorable in character. Men, older men, we need to be honorable in character. You should be setting the example for others to follow. Secondly, temperate. It says be self-controlled. In other words, holding back your desires to act upon your feelings and impulses. Hold back. And thirdly, guys, older guys, it says to be sound in the faith. Just like what your pastor is teaching you. Love and patience should be the byproduct of what you're reading daily in your devotional life and what you're being taught from the pulpit. It should be a byproduct seen in love and patience. In other words, men, in other words, older men, don't be irritable and grouchy old men, but you should be in a place, men, where we all respect you. Live your faith and, lo- and love and be patient. If this is you, men, if you see yourself in these characteristics and it's unbecoming, is there hope? Absolutely. You know, we need a mor- metamorphosis. We need a change. And as Christians, we should be continually changing and growing and transforming. God will transform us. Here in this text, I think of Peter. Peter was very compulsive. He was proud and he was quickly, he quickly got irritated with people. What about them? Man, even if all of them deny you, Lord, I, I, I won't deny you. He was compulsive. He was proud. He got irritated. What about John? He said. So men, live in a way that we all honor and respect you. You should be respected. In verses 6 to 8, it says, Likewise, you young men, be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech, which cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So here, God is giving us wisdom here. And it says, Likewise. So just like the older men, young men, pay attention. Be sober-minded, meaning exercise, young men, exercise self-control. He's saying curb your passions. In other words, park it to the side of the road. And don't be led by your passions. Why? Because it could lead to you being reckless. But he says in the second part, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Young men, have integrity, reverence, be incorruptible. Living your life respectfully and in all purity, young men. And then Paul concludes in verse 8 to the young guys by saying, don't, in my own words, don't give anyone any ammunition To speak ill of you. Live in such a way that your opponent, those who don't like you, may be ashamed by your manner of life. And that they would have nothing evil to say about you, young men. Now in verses 9 through 10, Paul stresses that a workplace moral code is important. Christians, how you treat your boss and your worth ethic matters to God. Men, men, we, men and women, we shouldn't be lazy. And our worth ethic and how we treat uh, our supervisors are important and our managers. He said, exhort the bond servants to be obedient. In other words, the employees will be obedient to their employers to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. In other words, Christians, Christians, we're not to answer back or to speak under our breath to our boss or our supervisors. That's what, it's, that, that's what we're taught in Scripture. If you know, we don't like them, pray for them. We're not to speak, talk back or... or 
disrespect or speak under our breath to our managers or supervisors. We're to be, it says here, well-pleasing in all things. In other words, we're to be a good worker. We're to be good workers. And here's the thing. Witnessing, witness off the clock. When you're on the clock, work. Work. All things. Well-pleasing. But the third thing here Paul addresses is he says, no pilfering. Don't be a thief. Don't pocket what's not yours. And then number four, showing all good fidelity. Fidelity meaning have trustworthy character. Christians, have trustworthy character and be a person that can be relied on. Why? That God would be glorified in all you do. That's what it says. So does it, is it important how we work as Christians? Absolutely. Now back, go back to verse 3 through 5 as Paul addresses the women of the church. Verses 3 and 5. Here are the roles and responsibilities of the women in the church. It says that the older women likewise, there's that word again, likewise, in other words, pertaining to what I just talked to the men and the older men and the young men, put all that together, that they, be, that they may be reverent, ladies, in behavior, not slanders, not giving much, too much wine, uh, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So here he says, likewise, in the same manner as, as regarding the men, regarding their attitudes and behaviors. Ladies, your conduct should be Bless, a blessing and an honor to God, how you live. But here we see an added detail regarding the conduct addressed to the ladies. Number one, the Bible tells here the ladies, don't be slanders. Slanders. And a slander is one who is prone to slander or speak evil of others. And in the Greek, the word really says a lot. The Greek word for slander is diabolos, where we get the word devil. Don't have a devil's tongue. You know, don't be, be careful of how you speak. And this applies to the men too. We're not, we got to be careful not to slander people. Secondly, ladies, here we're, you're taught to be teachers of good things. And we have a couple examples. Admonish the young women to love their husbands. Older ladies, you're admonished. You're called to admonish the young women to love their husbands. You're to teach them that. And to love their children. To be discreet. Teaching the young ladies wisdom. Older ladies, you have a lot of wisdom. You know, you, you, you teach the ladies from your success, but also teach them from your failures. You have a lot to teach. Pray that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you may uh, fulfill that role. It's very important. But he also says to be chaste, meaning you're teaching them to be pure and faultless and modest. Number seven, to be homemakers. Keepers of the home are, are good, uh, taking care of uh, household affairs. It's very important. And the word good here means excellent or distinguished. Teach them how to be a woman worthy of honor and great respect. That's your calling. That's what you're called to do. But here it says to be obedient to their own husbands. And, and our culture, they have this all wrong that it, it's a bad thing. This is not a bad word, obedient. I got to be obedient like a, like a dog. It's not like that here. And a lot of people take this out of context. And, the, and here's the thing. Who was the greatest submitter ever to walk the face of the earth? That's Jesus. You see, the word obedient here speaks of one who is under the rank. There is an order. 
So in the Trinity, there's an order. You have the Father, you have the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? But who was the submitting factor? Jesus submitted to the Father in all things. He didn't have a problem submitting. It was his role and responsibility. See, the husband is responsible for his role and his responsibility. And so, likewise, ladies, so will you be held accountable. But Jesus submitted in all things, so it's not a bad thing when things are in order. But we also see an order in creation. God created man, God created man, and then he created woman for man. So there is a order thing. So it doesn't mean that the women are anything less important than the men. And ladies, I want to encourage you, do not underestimate your influence. Do not underestimate your influence and your role. Maybe you're not, you know, biblically, you're not called to be a pastor, but your role is very important, ladies, for society. Very important. How do I know this? Man, because of my influence of my mother. The influence of my mother. Man, I was a rotten, horrible kid. And I, at junior high, I was already jumping out my window and I would be gone for the weekend and taking off and hanging out with 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds at, in junior high. I was a bad kid. My mom prayed. She was a godly woman. She, was, she would wake up every morning and read the Word of God first. Every morning she would read the Word of God. Every morning she would pick up her guitar and she would sing worship songs to God. She would sing, sing to the Lord. You know, when I would go to church with her every once in a while, she, I would watch her write notes as a pastor was teaching. She journaled every day. You know, I have her journals showing, man, I, I lend Tony 20 bucks this week and, you know, and then it was, I, I prayed for him. I prayed for Angelica, the kids, and she journaled. And she prayed, for, and, I, and I see her journal. She prayed for everything. And you know what? It influenced me. I read every morning. I worship. I take notes when my pastor's teaching. I journal. And I, I'm learning to pray for everything. I need God so much. And where did I learn this? I learned this from my mother. Ladies. Ladies, your influence. Be, pray that the, the Lord empower you with the Holy Spirit and that he would use you tremendously as he used my mother in my life. Now in verses 15 here, and in chapter 2 through chapter 3, uh, through verse 3, uh, Paul addresses uh, the pastor and he says, speak these things. He says, speak these things. What things? The things that we just talked about. And then he said, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And then in chapter 3, he says, verse 1, he says, remind them. Remind them. Remind who? Remind the church. Remind them what? To be subject to rulers and authorities. To obey and to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice. And that word malice is wickedness. We were living in wickedness and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, here we're called as Christians to be good, law-abiding citizens. It says to be subject to rulers and authorities. We are called to be law-abiding citizens. But we're not called to be gullible, nor to do anything that contradicts or oversteps God's moral law. There are limits. Secondly, it says be ready for every good work. And Christians, we should be ready to serve others. 
If you're a Christian, you should be serving. You should have a servant's heart. How do I know this? Jesus said, I came to serve. We're to be Christ-like. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. Christians, we're called to serve others. It's Christ-like behavior. Thirdly, we're taught here in Scripture to speak evil of no one. It says, speak evil of no one. It's a command. Church, don't get caught up in the foolish bickering of worldliness in which we see today happening in the world. Speak evil of no one. You know, there's a slogan going on about our current president right now. A slogan that everyone thinks it's funny. And if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be saying that. Okay, you might not like his policies or what he's doing, but here it says, speak evil of no one. You know, a lot of people didn't like the former president. And half the people were saying bad things about him too and speaking evil of him too. But here it says, speak evil of no one. The former president, the current president, the future president. Here's the thing, if we have a problem with them, we need to bring them to the Lord. We have a great example of, in David. David was a man after God's own heart. And Saul was a wicked king. But David never talked bad about Saul. Prayed for him. Prayed. And we get the Psalms through David's dealing with a difficult leader. But here it says, do not speak evil of no one. But if we have problems with people, instead of speaking evil about them, we need to bring them to God. You see, because God will hold the president accountable, the former president, the, the next president accountable on the day of judgment, but also he will hold us accountable as well. So I don't have to worry about them. Pray for them. Pray for myself. God will hold each accountable on the day of judgment. So we give them to the Lord and we speak evil of no one. Number four, the Christian is to be peaceable, gentle, Showing all humility to all men. In other words, stay humble. Christian, stay humble. Don't be self-righteous. Don't think you're better than everyone else. The reason why we are not called to be self-righteous, we see in verse 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, wickedness, Envy, hateful, and hating one another. In other words, we were just like them, doing the same things. Don't think yourself too highly of yourself. But pray. Pray for those who are making foolish decisions. Pray for those who are hostile and disobedient to the Lord. Pray for those who are currently deceived and currently serving their they're, they're less and they're caught up with ple- their own pleasures and, re- and pursuits. Why? Because if they continue in that path, eventually they're going to realize that just like the prodigal son, that they're in pig's food. It isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. And I remember, you know, being in the world, I thought, man, I needed this and needed, I got all those things. And you know what? It was like vomit. And I remembered the Lord and I returned to the Lord. I thank God for God's grace. But my mom was praying and my friends prayed for me. You know, they, they would come and knock on my door in the front door and I'd see them coming. We're going to pick you up for church. And they would knock on the front door. I'd see them. I'd go out the back door. But you know what? They never gave up. They prayed for me. They loved me. And then when I came to my senses, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I went to them first and I thank them. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for not thinking you were better than me, but, but you loved me. You know, the Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for the unjust. He died for sinners. 
And we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but we should pray for those going and making foolish decisions. But, but you are no longer of this world, Christian. You're called to be set apart. This was our former conduct. But here in verse eight through uh, 4 through 8, it tells us what changed our direction. Let's read verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And of the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Excuse me. Having been justified by His grace, we should... Grace should become heirs or inherit according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly. In other words, you want to make sure that these are being said over and over. Why? Because they're important. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable towards men. So, number one, he says, remember we're saved according to God's mercy. God save you. It's an act of mercy. You're saved by God's grace. You responded to an invitation. So if we responded to an invitation, God was patient with us. We were undeserving. He gives us an invitation, and then we come to him in due time. How much more should we be patient and pray for those who are still in that state? That's why we don't think of ourselves as self-righteous. We're saved because of God's mercy. We just responded to His invitation. So be patient and pray for those who we hope will respond in due time. Secondly, pastors are to confirm this message constantly it says the gospel and the reason why is least we think too much of ourselves or think that we're saved by our own power because we do see this in scripture that people will boast of their well i've I've been a christian for 30 years and i've been christian for this long and i've done this and oh i've read the bible so we start getting proud and it Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved, Christian, through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, least, uh, not of works, least anyone should boast. But he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We can't boast of our own moral goodness. But here in verses 9 through 11, we see things to avoid, Christian. Things to avoid. But avoid foolish disputes and genealogies and contentions, excuse me, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Uh, knowing that such a person is wrapped uh, wrapped in sinning and, uh, and is self-condemned. So here are two things to avoid. Void, avoid foolish disputes. We don't have problems with genealogies. The Jews did at this time. But man, we are to vo- avoid foolish disputes. Things that are contentious and unprofitable. You know, uh, you know social media, you know, I don't read the comments. Why? Because a lot of it is foolish. Foolish behavior and foolish comments and just, you know, useless things. We need to avoid those things. Secondly, avoid divisive people. People who are contentious. People who just want to argue. You know, it's good to have differences of opinions. We can have different opinions. And it's good to have different opinions. That's how we learn from one another. But we're called to be reasonable. Now, if I cannot talk with somebody and we can't have a reasonable conversation, then I want to leave that conversation alone. I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm just wasting my time. And 
we see from Scripture that God is reasonable. We see this in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. We see God is a reasonable God. You know, he calls out to sinners. He says, you know, though, though your sins are red as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Man, you know, so God is reasonable and he'll reason. But if you want to go your way and you want to believe that, go ahead. But don't expect me to believe it. Be reasonable both back and forth. We have to be reasonable. But there are some people who are not reasonable. So he says, avoid certain people. In verses 12 through 13, Paul mentions his friendships in ministry. And he speaks of, of Artemis and Tychicus here. And he says, I have decided to spend the winter there. But he says, be diligent uh, to come into, uh, to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, and the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And what is... What I see here is Paul had a lot of friends in ministry. You know, he mentions them uh, often in his letters at the end. And, you know, I'm so blessed with the, the men and women God has put in ministry here at Calvary Chapel that, you know, we're blessed. And I'm sure Paul was blessed. But here we see a word that Paul says to uh, those in ministry. He says, be diligent to come to me, you know, and that is a, a characteristic that we, we really need in ministry. If you're in ministry, be diligent in your ministerial duties. Be diligent. And thirdly, pray for your leaders. You know, here Paul uh, was spending, a, uh, he was spending some time, uh, a winter there, but he didn't, Paul wasn't dictated, I'm, I'm going to go, and he was his own will. He depended upon the Lord, and he prayed. So we want to do a lot of things here at Calvary Chapel this year. But we want to be directed and blessed by the hand of the Lord here at Calvary. So pray for your leaders, that we would make good decisions. But here Paul says, send them in haste and a servant, we need to be ready and prepared to serve the Lord. But at the end here, it says that they may lack nothing. And I, and I praise the Lord for the giving here at this church. You know, we, la we, we don't lack in that area. Praise the Lord. But we do lack in other areas. And we'll see that in the text here. As Paul will point out the lack in areas of that local church in his final uh, exhortation here in verses 14 through 15 it shows us he says let the people learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may be they may not be unfruitful and all who are with me greet you and greet those who love us in the faith grace be with you all amen so the first lack was, it said, he says here, learn that they may learn to maintain good works. Why? Because there was a lack there in the church of works, of service. And that word learn here actually speaks of, of an increase by learning, by use or practice. So God has called you Christian to get involved and to serve. But here it says to meet and when you do so, meet urgent needs. Are there needs in the church? Yes, there are needs. So, increase in service and practice. Meet urgent needs. And what is the byproduct of that? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. We want to be a fruitful church. And here's the thing. When your service is motivated by love for God and loving one another, man... When we work together for God's glory, we're going to see it. We could see amazing things. You know, those who serve right now, you know, uh, really neat. But you know what, what? The Lord has really showed me this year. We really need to come together as leaders in the church to help each other and do things better in the church. 
You know, I'm praying about a, a planning committee. You know, we, we have events and, and things that we do all year, but uh, a, a lot of the things that we do are done by two or three people at the most. But we have a congregation of two services a, a week. So I'm praying that God would use you in this new year, in this new season. You know, I, I have an orange tree. I have one of the big orchard trees from uh, from the orchards in Azusa. And every year I know the New Year's coming because my oranges are so big and they're ready to pick. And I start harvesting them in, in December, at the end of December, in the beginning of January, I harvest them. And then after I harvest them, what I have to do is I, 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 I trim the tree. I, I take all some things off of, you know, all the shoots that didn't produce any fruit. I cut those things off. And then in like the end of March and, and in April, I, I get these beautiful little flowers on my tree. My tree is like white, full of flowers. And then after the little flowers come off, there, there's a little tiny little green ball I see all over my tree. And then my wife waters it every day and we wait. And then here comes December again. Man, they're so beautiful. But are there, there might be things in the word that you need to cut off in your life. You need a little trimming in your life. And when you trim those things away, watch God because when those branches go out and if I don't trim them, they, they, they're not going to produce fruit next year either. They're just shoots with no fruit. And what it does, it takes nutrients away from the fruit. So every year I trim off those little edges. I trim those things. And that's what we have to do as Christians. We need to let go of those things in our lives that are hindering growth and transformation in my life. And let God water you through the Word of God. And you wait, and you'll start seeing little fruit. And you let them water you, and let it grow. And become fruitful. You see, it's a new year. Pray with expectancy. You know, every December, I'm looking with expectancy to enjoy my fruit. Look with, you know, but here I'm waiting. God's doing the work. I, don't, I, I do a few little things to the tree, but God's doing the work. He does the miracle, brings the fruit, right? And the same thing with our lives. God will do a work in your life. Cut off those dead things. Give them to Him this morning. New, new year, a new church. How about a new you? We go to the one who can do the work, an inward work. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for this time together. We thank you for uh, this three chapters, Lord. We pray, Lord, for the calling of those to ministry. We pray, Father, that uh, as you spoke about pastoral and overseeing, Lord, we pray, Lord, that uh, the men would respond. Father, that you would do a work of your spirit in them, that they would heed the call. I pray for their wives, Lord, that you would anoint them, that you would encourage them in their roles and responsibility pray for the the men of the church the older men lord they may they be um, respected in this place lord may you do a work of your spirit in them and the young men and the, the older women and the younger women of this church lord we do pray father for a supernatural work father in all those areas lord we pray lord if there's anything that needs a trimming uh, something that needs to come off in our life lord we we give it to you this morning. Father, any area that is not producing fruit, Lord, are, are taken away from, from the fruit. We pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us, Lord. You would trim us, Lord. That we would see evidence of, of a little fruit, Lord. And, and Father, we pray, Lord, that you would water us, Lord, and you would take care of us throughout the year. And, and Lord, that by this time next year, we will be very fruitful and very useful for you. 
Father, we just thank you for your word. We can't live it apart from your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well,